0: Love Talk Radio. Welcome, thanks for joining me for episode 187, Business and Legal Week in Review. This is utlradio.com, your business success and legal information station. I'm your host, Peter Lamont, along with my co-host, Bob Hughes. So today we're going to be talking about, uh, how you doing, Bob? (laughs) I'm good. So far. So far, you We'll see how it goes (laughs) at the end of the show. It's early. Uh, yeah. So we're going to try to get through some uh, some of the stories that happened last week. Um, a lot of stuff going on in the world, but on the legal and business front, some things that I think are, are pretty important to talk about. So we're going to get to that in a second. But before we begin, I just want to thank today's sponsor. And today's show is sponsored by BeASmartClient.com. So let me just explain what this is about, why this is so important to anyone who has the need for a lawyer. You see, as a client, you don't really understand what the lawyer is doing, what kind of lawyer to look for, why things are taking so long, why there's so much process and procedure. And I think that that sometimes makes it very difficult on the client end to understand exactly what's going on with your case, with your matter. It doesn't make a difference whether it's a will or a trial. You just don't know what's going on. And I think it's really, really important for you to understand how to have the best relationship that you can with your lawyer. Because understanding more about what your lawyer is doing and the legal process is only going to benefit you. It's going to reduce the stress. And that's what BeASmartClient.com is about. There is a book on the site that you can uh, purchase right from the site or from Amazon And basically it's going to give you that roadmap, that guideline to help you understand how to have a relationship with your client. You know, one of the main complaints that happen between attorneys and clients throughout the U.S. is lack of communication. And a lot of times it's because the client doesn't understand what's going on and they're afraid to ask or they're not sure when to ask. Maybe the lawyer thinks to himself or herself, well, you know this is routine for me i know that this is going to happen in this case so why do i need to report it it's just you know par for the course but the client doesn't understand that so that's what this book and this website is going to help you with whether you want a simple will or you're looking at a lengthy lawsuit knowing what to expect and how to effectively communicate with your attorney saves you time and money even if you're going it alone there are easy techniques and useful tools in this book that are going to help you feel far more confident and in, in any legal matter that you're going to be dealing with. So, you know, Fab, you've talked about some of the times in the past where you had to employ a lawyer. And not being a lawyer, you know, I think that something like this, this book probably would have helped you understand more of well, what's
1: I'm- going on. Absolutely. To me, to me, being a lawyer is similar to a witch doctor or voodoo craft, because you don't know what they're doing and, and they speak a different language. Um, but it is, you know, I've been pretty fortunate that I've had friends recommend lawyers here, or lawyers there, depending on the situation. But yeah, to, if you don't have people that, and, and, and sometimes I work with one, um, <laughs> so not having people in the, <laughs> not having people in the know, can really hurt you, and it's like anything. You've got to research, in and in a, a great source like this book is absolutely infallible and detrimental. You you need it if you're going to move forward in, in the business world or just in life, actually. I mean, you're going to find yourself in trouble one way or another, and this will help you get out of it.
0: Absolutely, and you know what? If you go to the site, um, actually, there's an app coming soon that looks pretty cool. Hmm. There's some companion workbooks. So, um, you know, if you have the need for a lawyer, for whatever it is, like I said, will or litigation or contract dispute or you're being sued or you need to sue, you are always going to be in a better position knowing more and knowing how to effectively communicate with your lawyer. So check out BeASmartClient.com and pick up a copy of the book by Ellen Hughes, Be a Smart Client, Your Guide to Successful Relationships with Your Attorney. So thanks to Be a Smart Client. And I do encourage everyone who has the need for a lawyer, to take a look at the book. It's available at Amazon.com and on BeASmartClient.com.
1: And what's what's comical about my current situation when it comes to legal maneuvering is the opposition has recently changed lawyers. Had they just been a smart client in the first place, and actually gave me exactly what I wanted when it came to the paperwork, had they just been a smart client in the first place and referenced this website, we wouldn't have had to play around. That's right. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> so,
1: there so you before go. We get going,
0: yep. Good. Before we get going into uh, into the news today, I just want to mention a couple things that have happened over the past few weeks. We've had some really, really great interviews on our Understanding Business show. We had Rich Gasparri, um, and we gave away a book. We had Michael Brunette from uh, Beard Bro which really was a great interview, a really great guy. And he gave a lot of information, a lot of advice about being an entrepreneur and how to start a company and what he did and how he managed having a full-time job. So that's a great show. You can check that show out. That's available. Either. uh, There's so many ways to get it. You can go to utl and there's links. You can go to blog talk radio and there's links. You can find excerpts from it on YouTube. So, Wherever uh, it's easier for you, we're there, but check out some of those interviews because they were really, really high quality interviews with a lot of really good information. Um, Mike Burnett especially was really enlightening and it kind of shed some um, sort of knowledge on some of those sectors of, or those sections of, of entrepreneurship where you don't really spend much time. You see the big picture, but he was talking about some of the details and that's where the devil is. So uh, check those interviews out. We also had a number of giveaways. I mentioned Rich Gasperi giveaway. Beard Bro giveaway is still ongoing. So we have five Beardbro tools to give away, courtesy of uh, Mike Brunette and Beardbro um, LLC. So check that out. All of the terms and conditions for entering that giveaway are available at utlradio.com. That's going to do it for housekeeping. And uh, you're up, Bob.
1: Now that everything's clean, it's time to eat. Chocolatiers prevail in candy price fix. Now you get my food reference. In Pittsburgh, Courthouse News is telling us that evidence suggesting possible multinational collusion between Hershey, Mars, and Nestle, three of my favorite people, to fix chocolate bar prices could just as easily be proof of their interdependence. The third court has ruled tossing out an antitrust suit against the candy giants. Tuesday's decision by the three-judge panel ended a long and complicated case that began in 2007 with the consolidation of 91 multi-district lawsuits filed primarily by local grocery stores and pharmacies, basically complaining that the prices of a bit of honey is the same as a Snickers bar and across the different lines of, of um, candy manufacturers to their wholesale. Cadbury, which was also named as a defendant when the suits were consolidated, was dismissed from the action in 2011. U.S. District Judge Christopher Connor dismissed that entire case during that year. Explaining the panel's decision to uphold Connor's ruling, U.S. Circuit Judge Michael Fisher wrote that there essentially rested on two simple factors. First, the people involved in and the circumstances surrounding the Canadian conspiracy are different from those involved in and surrounding the purported U.S. conspiracy, Fisher said. Second, the evidence that the chocolate manufacturers in the U.S. knew of the unlawful Canadian conspiracy in its weak and in any event relates only to Hershey's and no one else, he continued. Because we also conclude that the plaintiff's other traditional conspiracy evidence is insufficient to create reasonable inference that a U.S. price-fixing conspiracy existed. We affirm that. And so, according to the consolidated complaint, Hershey's, Mars, and Nestle's controlled 75% of the confectionery market between 2002 and 2007, which are the years that the alleged price fixing was said to have occurred. Given the market concentration and high barriers to entry, the U.S. chocolate confectionery market was ripe for collusion. But evidence of motive without more does not create a reasonable inference of concerted action because it merely restates interdependence, Fisher wrote. The plaintiffs did not dispute the prices for making chocolate increased during those years, but they have claimed to have uncovered sufficient evidence of parallel pricing to prevail on their claims. The three-judge panel held that the evidence presented was far too circumstantial to prove, that the, plaintiffs, uh, to prove the plaintiff's conspiracy theory. Additionally, while the plaintiffs claimed the chocolate companies agreed not to poach each other's existing customer accounts, so that said hey i'm not going to take yours you don't take mine the panel concluded the per- the parallel price increases that were supposedly part of that bargain are not uncommon in the candy industry a horizontal price fixing agreement occurs when competitors in the same market agree to fix or control prices of their goods or services conduct consistent with permissible competition as with illegal conspiracy does not standing alone support an inference of antitrust conspiracy importantly he continued Even when armed with plausible economic theory, a plaintiff relying on ambiguous evidence alone cannot raise a reasonable inference of a conspiracy sufficient to survive summary judgment. While the plaintiffs built their case on a logical enough foundation, he said, the panel found that the evidence did not exclude the possibility that the defendants were working interdependently. Even though this practice of parallel pricing, known as conscious parallelism, produces anti competitive outcomes, it is lawful under the Sherman Act for two reasons, Fisher wrote. First, con- conscious parallelism is not an agreement, but can be a necessary fact of life, saying that it's going to happen. Second, the courts have no effective remedy for the problem. Accordingly, evidence of conscious parallelism cannot alone create a reasonable inference of a conspiracy. The opinion describes the U.S. Cho- chocolate market as a textbook example of an. Uh, <laughs> o- Oligopoly. Olig- I'm going to guess on that word. Um, that's kind of the word of the week. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, oligarchy is like the word of the day. And the panel decided that we cannot infer too much from mere. Have you seen that news? I'm serious in news reports, all of everyone's an oligarch. Everyone's an oligarch all of a sudden. And the panel decided that we cannot infer too much from mere evidence of parallel pricing from oligopolists. In a concentrated or <laughs> oligopolistic market, I'm not even knowing if that's how it's pronounced, a single firm's change in output or price will have a noticeable impact on the market and its rival. Al- oligopolists, may, kind of like philanthropists, may maintain super competitive pricing through national, or excuse me, through rational interdependent price decision making, as opposed to unlawful concerted action if the ol- oligopolists, independently concluded that the industry as a whole would be better off by raising prices. Basically they're saying this happens and we can't fix it. It's just because everyone buys the sugar at the same price. It's because everyone has the same cost and labor. There's no, no way to control this. Is that pretty much what they're saying?
0: Yeah, that's, that's, that's really what it's about. You know, basically what, what let's go back to the the Sherman antitrust act for a second. So the Sherman antitrust act, um, which is a federal law, it basically tries to prevent, it's an anti-competition statute, basically, okay? The idea of fair competition is what we want our capitalist society to encourage. We want people to 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 compete with each other because competition will bring better products, uh, better services, and, generally speaking, better prices. So, The antitrust law tries to prevent organizations who might have most of the power from price fixing or for setting the bar at a level where there's no competition. So that's basically, what's that? (laughs) Kind of like
1: OPEC. (laughs) Yeah, exactly
0: like OPEC. So the idea here is that we want a competitive market. We don't want something that's anti-competitive, which is what the Sherman Act is, is there to try to protect. So this lawsuit basically stems from the idea that people believe that the prices were fixed and it didn't make a difference where you went, whether it was Hershey or Nestle or any of these, these companies. You're going to pay the same price, and in essence, there is no competition. But what the judge ruled is, and it was a 52-page opinion. So this is something that they took tremendously seriously. You know, you would think that this, it almost sounds kind of silly, but the, the court took this extremely seriously, 52-page opinion. And they basically say that there's no questions of fact to submit to the jury. So while it may look to you, the plaintiff, that all the prices are the same across the board, it really is a result, not of some sort of... Um, knowing collusion where we're going to fix all the prices of of candy throughout the industry, it really is, well, wait a minute. If Mars brings their price down, then we should bring our price down as Hershey. And you're allowed to do that. It's when you kind of get together in in like, you know, the chocolate factory and you say, all right, let's do this. Let's screw everyone over. And, you know, whether it's an M&M or a Hershey bar or a Cadbury egg, we're all going to charge this amount. Agree? That's what they, you know, the plaintiff was alleging, and the judge said that we can't find any evidence to support that.
1: And the Sherman Act, the Sherman Antitrust Act is is barely it's been around for a while.
0: Yeah, actually, it was um, passed under under Harrison. Uh, Benjamin Harrison oh, was the yep. president at the time. So I think that was like in the 1890s. So that's been around <laughs> for a long time. You know, and, but again, the whole idea, because it's during the Industrial Revolution, and we're talking about, trying to increase competition because it's going to make everybody better. And, you know, imagine uh, a, an economic culture or a, a capitalist society where everybody's working together, you know, at a standard price. It, it becomes more like a, a communist society in a sense because there's no, there's, yeah, no, there's no competition. So, you know, who can do the other? That's really what our con- country is based on. And then, of course, there's always stepping over each other on your way to uh, making something better, but that's not <laughs> yes that part of
1: today's in discussion. This, <laughs> no, and this can actually work in two ways. It can be it can be utilized to keep people out of the market. If they you know if you've got a startup and your their, their prices you know if you should be making them at forty five cents a piece. Well, if you can drop it down and take, you know, you're in these these larger companies are making so much, yeah. they can pull it back to forty-two. You know, that three cents over a lot of units is a lot is, is a big deal. Now, once you effectively cut everyone out of the market in the, when it comes to pre-sale, now you can raise your price and force uh, a higher profit. So it can work in two different ways, and people don't necessarily see both ways because it, it can really keep people out of the market. It's, it's kind of like the oil and gas industry. It's so lucrative that there it's surprising that there's not more people in it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that the source, you know, having the oil obviously is a problem. Um and and just, mm-hmm. you know, it seems like if you're not a very wealthy um prince or princess or a king, you're gonna have a hard time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but, but, and, yeah, and, I mean, and that's I mentioned OBAC oh, because that's exactly what they're doing to the US oil and gas market when it comes to shale. They're dry, they're yeah. pulling down the price of their crude So to make it impossible to manufacture any other product that rivals it via uh, fracking or other processes here in the U.S.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's why alternative um, alternatives to to oil really should be at the forefront of what we are researching. You know, just I was away this weekend in upstate New York and I was in a, a hotel and in the back of the hotel, they had one electric charging port for, you know, an electric vehicle. And, you know, they, they put one in, so there must be enough that it would necess- necessitate one. But you would sure. just, I can't really wrap my head around why we are not doing more, more quickly to rid ourselves of that, that need for oil. And I wonder, you know, is there right. more at play from a political standpoint? Why wouldn't we be spending all of our time energy and all, uh, energy in alternate energy? You
1: know studies it, you know you're right yeah in, in developing i mean high between uh, hydrogen fuel cells the electric or whatever yeah there are there are i there are reasons that are i'm sure aligned <laughs> that uh, yeah. it's not it's not going to happen no, i can't imagine what the the um, the hit to any kind of uh, job market would be without oil and gas if you start if you pull those jobs. Is, yeah, would absolutely. they be replaced by alternatives? So it's, it's hard. oh, I'm sure. Follow the money and get your answer. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> As with anything, um, well, not the only product in the news this week that you start to look at, um, in, in 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 from from a legal standpoint, dark and stormy. You know what a dark and stormy is?
0: No, I actually don't know what dark and stormy is.
1: I, I didn't until I read this article. Dark and stormy maker brings on trademark action. Courthouse News up in Boston telling us that if you're tired of Pernod Ricard ripping off its classic cocktail, the Dark and Stormy, well, Premier did. He got tired of it. Their Premier Spirits maker wanted some federal court injunction action. Gosling Brothers filed the federal complaint Tuesday against Pernod Ricard, the makers of Malibu rum, for trademark infringement. It says the official recipe for a Dark and Stormy calls for one and a half ounces of Gosling's Black Seal rum and... Four to five ounces of any brand ginger beer. Using any other brand of rum, it's incorrect according to Gosling's lawsuit. In October 2014, however, Purnoa published a recipe on its website for dark and stormy that used Malibu rum, and, rather than Gosling's, to die for. Defendant's actions are knowing, willful, deliberate, and performed with the interest to trade off of Gosling's goodwill and reputation tied to the iconic dark and stormy marks. The federal complaint states they're doing it on purpose. Defendants' wrongful conduct has caused or will cause Gosling to lose control over the goodwill and reputation associated with the dark and stormy marks. Though Gosling first established its dark and stormy trademark in 1991, when the company began marketing a pre-made cocktail drink of the same name, it says the drink's history extends much earlier. More recently, the company has expanded its trademark to cocktail kits, clothing, and the recipe itself. The company traces its roots to James Gosling's landing in the Bermudas during a failed 1806 expedition from England to Virginia. Being that bad of a navigator would definitely prompt you to want to get into some of the line of business. <laughs> the son of a wine and spirits merchant, Gosling remained on the island and founded a rum company. Gosling Brothers, as the business became known, began bringing rum distillate to Bermuda in 1850, according to the complaint. Now, the company claims to owe its export business and its black seal rum brand name to a stroke of genius after World War I. While tourists looking to bring home rum from Bermuda, Gosling Brothers began reclaiming champagne bottles from a local mess hall for British officers, filling them up with rum and then sealing the recorked bottles with black wax. While British soldiers in post-war Bermuda began mixing ginger beer from a local factory operated by the Royal Navy Officers Club with Gosling's black seal rum to invent the dark and stormy, according to the complaint. Well, the Dark and Stormy is one of a few cocktails with trademark the Cesarac. I'm going to guess how that is. I've never heard of that drink, which is owned by a spirit company with the same name, includes Cesarac Rye Whiskey and is referred to by the company's website as the official cocktail of New Orleans. Another famed New Orleans cocktail, the Hand Grenade, was the subject of a lawsuit that the Bourbon Street Bar Tropical Isle brought against other Louisiana restaurants that were infringing upon its recipe. Pusser's Rum successfully sued a New York City bar, infringing on its drink, the Painkiller. The bar was operating as the Painkiller Lounge, while also serving its own version of the cocktail using different rum than Pusser's, as explained in an open letter from Pusser's founder, Charles Tobias, on the company's website. So basically, Peter, what you have here is whether or not you can copyright or trademark a name and a recipe associated with it.
0: Yeah, and you know, it it's um it's something that people don't often think about, but you absolutely if you come up with a recipe and you're gonna name it something, it's it's more because trademark is a word, a symbol, a phrase, something used to identify um something that is, is specific and particular to a manufacturer or a product. So sure. while you could create the same ingredients in a dark and stormy using A different type of rum okay so it's it's essentially the same drink just with a different brand of rum you can't call it dark and stormy you can call it whatever you want you can call it Uh you know um you know hazy and rainy you can go whatever you want to call it (laughs) but you can't take their identifier because that's that's what it is it's a brand identifier so they're saying that dark and stormy is not just a drink it is a trademarked identifier that relates to their product specifically. So you can you can do a play on words or a variation of it, but you can't take their same, you know, trademarked name. And that name, the, the Dark and Stormy, because I didn't know before this story what a Dark and Stormy was, but that phrase was trademarked and therefore protected. So mm-hmm. it doesn't seem to make sense to me why people – would I think really is what I was going to say is I don't really understand why people would take a chance where they're going to end up with a possible injunction lawsuit. And I think it, it, it really is people don't know, you know, like the painkiller lounge. If I remember that litigation properly, um, I think that they didn't realize it wasn't like an intentional thing. Like, let's let's infringe on their trademark. I think it was accidental. But intent really isn't part of a trademark dispute. It's whether or not, you know, the infringing use could potentially cause damage to the the trademark holder.
1: So they could, so they can't, you're basically saying, they take the dark dark and stormy. They can't say this is our, they can't really literally say, this is our dark and stormy, or they can't call it a a Malibu dark and stormy. They have to completely disassociate the name. They could publish the recipe using their own ingredients. But they can't call it a dark and stormy in any way, shape, or
0: form. Right. Exactly. And that's why if you see um, an example being something like a generic vitamin. So you go into Rite Aid or CVS or Walgreens, and you'll see Centrum vitamins. And then you'll see the store brand, and it says, compare to Centrum. If they're not ah. calling it Centrum, because Centrum is trademarked. But they're going to call it, you know, Centrovite. And then there's a little thing on it that says compare to Centrum. So by doing that, you avoid infringing on a mark because you're not calling your product the same thing. And the the compare to Centrum doesn't really mean anything from a trademark standpoint. Because when they say compare to Centrum on the bottle, you'll see the little registered symbol next to the use of the word Centrum. So it's not used. It doesn't diminish business. It doesn't do what, what infringing use of a trademark would do. And it's very similar to this. So you could almost, in theory, see someone producing a drink and saying something like, "Compared to a dark and stormy. And that would probably oh. be okay to say.
1: And using the, the term dark and stormy or central like that, that doesn't obligate you to pay them any royalties.
0: No, no, because... You don't have a licensing agreement. You don't have anything with them. They're just saying, stop, stop. It's not right. You know, I'll give you an example of something that, that I'm dealing with right now. There was a company who used to work with another company. And at that point that they were working together, they had an agreed upon licensing deal where company B was allowed to use company A's logo. So they end up splitting apart, going to their separate ways. And Company B, in an advertisement that goes out to tens of thousands of people, references and uses Company A's logo and mark. So, at one point, they were licensed to use that mark, but at the point that it was severed, they no longer have the ability to use that. And by placing that logo and mark in an advertisement, they have now infringed on Company A's trademark. So... That's just another spin on this. You might have licensing at one point, but it doesn't mean you have it forever. And just because you used it yesterday when you were part of a licensing agreement, and today you're not, doesn't give you the right to use the mark.
1: The old words in perpetuity were not mentioned. That's right. So yeah, (laughs) well, that's it. I mean, it's you don't like say you don't think about it, and, and. it's probably very easy to do, um, and this this one I have to believe they probably maybe they did mean to uh, take advantage of a trademark name. But knowing some it's like saying uh, if, if absolute for some other some reason you would be dumb enough to put or Sky Vodka dumb enough to put orange juice with one of those two vodkas. Um, you 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 can't you can put screwdriver on the but you're infringing on somebody else that said hey screwdriver is my name. You can put black and orange juice on there all day long. Don't use the term OJ because then Gene Simmons got something for you. Um, But you can use those general terms. You just can't, you don't don't think about how, there's there's no common use of the word. Somebody owns it. And that's, right. you just probably didn't know.
0: (laughs) Right. And you know what? The best advice, the best advice for somebody, a company or a business owner that's going to look to use a phrase or a word that might be identified with somebody else, you might have heard it before. It's very easy. You go to the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office and you conduct an online search. You don't even need to pay a lawyer for that. You can do that yourself. Um, You know, obviously, if you pay a lawyer, you probably get a a more extensive search. But even just a cursory look might help you in a a dispute. So I would suggest that that's where you go before you decide to use a phrase or a name. Check that out first. Yeah.
1: Very yeah. Very easy tool to use. Or you could always go to be a good client and <laughs> get the book. <laughs> yeah. No. No.
0: Seriously though. I mean, really. again, Just yeah, no, yeah, talking no. about talking about that that dot com one more time. This is the kind of thing where you know if you're going to be hiring a lawyer to engage in a trademark search, you need to know well what is that lawyer going to do for me? How do I communicate with him? How do I make sure that we're on the same page? And that when he's doing the search, I know what I'm getting in return. What am I paying yeah. for? What am I getting? What is he going to give me? What is he going to do? And that's where really, in, in all seriousness, something like be a smart client is so important. And that's why I think that it's really kind of a, a must read for anybody that, that is going to be um, hiring an attorney for anything, including something like trademark.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And you can compare it to what you expect from a lawyer versus what you can do on your own. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe there's no need to buy one. There you go. Save yourself a little bit of money by buying a simple book. <laughs> it's that easy. Well, we'll see how that one shakes out. Get it shaken, stirred. Yeah. All right. Got um, it. <laughs> thank you. To <laughs> be here all week. EU lawyers. Yeah, that's right. I think try the veal. EU, law- EU lawmakers blasted for refugee response. European Council President Donald Tusk ripped ripped fellow lawmakers over the EU's response to the Syrian refugee crisis in an invitation letter to join him on a special session to tackle the issue. The crisis we are all witnessing is a test of our humanity and responsibility. It causes many tensions and accusations among politicians and people in Europe. I have no illusions that Europe will deal with this challenge for many years to come, Tusk said in a letter to EU council members sent late Friday. More than 200,000 refugees, most of them escaping the civil war in Syria and ISIL, have flooded into Hungary alone this year. The European Commission said Friday that over 210,000 people applied for asylum in the EU in the second quarter of 2015, up 85% over the same period for last year. The crush of refugees and Hungary's unwillingness to deal with them has caused a domino effect at neighboring borders this week. Although the 1995 Schengen Agreement broke down borders across much of Europe, Germany earlier this week raised controls along its frontier with Austria, and Austria followed suit by closing its border with Hungary. Hungary, meanwhile, closed its borders as well as declaring a state of emergency while it finished a 109-mile razor wire fence at its frontier with Serbia. Tusk acknowledged a grave difference of opinion across the EU on what the continent should do about the refugee crisis, but he said staying the course would solve nothing. The current migration policy is a sum of despair of the victims fleeing war and persecution of the determination in searching for a better life. Of the cynicism of the smugglers and too often of the refugees and migrants' tragic fate. Therefore, it's essential to establish a credible European migration policy. Tusk said the most urgent issues involve getting help to frontline states, the Western Balkans and Turkey, budgetary assistance for the Refugee Commissioner, and diplomatic pressure to solve the Syrian crisis once and for all. Said, we would have thought that one. Uh, he also caught on, called on lawmakers to give immediate funding to the World Food Program, which has already cut substantially food support to refugees. The program currently feeds 11 million people in Syria and the surrounding region. Special session of the EU Council is set for September 23rd. This thing is a mess um, over there, obviously. Um, yeah, you know,
0: I was really, I, I was surprised because you hear it on the news and you see it. But just this week, my my son had come home from school, he's in eighth grade, and he was given a project. And he was told to compare this crisis with the Holocaust and the refugees that were fleeing during World War II and to make a determination as to whether or not you think the world is doing enough for the refugees. And I was, you know, at first it was like, okay, yeah, I, I don't really see the correlation. And I know that there have been a lot of sort of right wing um, rabbis who are are making comparisons. But then when I sat down with him to do the project, I was really surprised to see some of the comparisons because we're not talking necessarily about the time period in Nazi Germany when people were in the death camps. But more importantly, the, the time period when people were fleeing Germany for safety and they were being turned away by other countries. And then ultimately, as they come back into Germany, they're picked up and put into death camps and, and work camps and that sort of thing. And I was watching a video with him of, um, you know, these these Syrian refugees trying to board trains and they're jumping through the windows. And you have to wonder and worry, what is the long-term repercussion of this? Because when World War I started and World War Two started, nobody could see it. It wasn't something that, you know, World War 1 the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand nobody said oh that's it here we go and here you have to wonder what is this going to lead to you've got people putting up barbed wire fences you've got people that are suffering where does this go it's kind of scary
1: that's and, and that's 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 an interesting comparison um because yeah it did have there was a similar issue um, i think in, in is it more or less, you know, when you talk about the comparison of that, and I look at it, and I see it, I have my own extreme right wing views of it. But I look at the Syrian civil war as not so much a lot of of a government against a particular group of people, as it is a bunch of factions fighting for control of an area. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty ugly over there. And, and it's, and, and it's, you know, Iraq has the same problem. Um, the worst thing we could ever could have done with Iraq was try to depose Saddam Hussein, but that's a whole different argument. Um, but it did lead to a lot of destabilization in the region in in a region that really can't handle historically destabilization. It's a big, it's a big, big, big discussion, but you know, in, in, in the, the, the nearer term, what do you do with all these people? My extreme right version is to hand them weapons, tell them I can fight for their land. But <laughs> not a lot of people would agree with me on that. Um, the the governments in the area, I mean, for crying out loud, going to Greece, good idea. Probably not. Greece can't afford its own citizens right now. Yeah, this This is, this is, you know, and actually, what was the answer to the, here? Here, let's backtrack historically. What was the answer to the uh, Jewish crisis in Germany? The 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 end result answer. The end
0: result was that it, it took a world war to fix the problem,
1: to create Israel. Well, yeah, yeah, but there's, it, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah,
0: yeah, that, that's it that, right. That, and, and,
1: and, 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 it, it, but you're right. It took a large scale military involvement to, and, and, and you can't just say that. Well, that was the whole crux of the issue. Obviously, Hitler had greater aspirations than just kicking the Jews out of Germany. He wanted the whole he, he wanted to reinstate the Rhineland or, or, or something to that effect. He had world domination theories, as did Japan. I mean, you think Japan, they invaded China for crying a off. But it, 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 the 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 out the 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 thing that was was that came out of World War II was the creation of Israel. Is that what's yep. going to happen here? Are they going to have to create, God knows how many countries to satisfy the different sects and tribal um, history history and leanings of these people? I don't know the answer. I don't know if there is an answer. We can't the the, the, the governments that you know the U.S. can't take them all. Europe can't take them no. all. There, you can't just. That's like saying, okay, well, we're moving all these people out of this field, and we have so, only so some place to go. We know so many houses to put them in, but we're going to have, we're going to keep this field. It's just going to be nothing from now on. It's going to be a wasteland because that's what's being created there, creating a region of land that will be good for nothing. No, no inhabitation will happen over there.
0: You know, and and look, I mean, you can argue, yeah, you can argue that the creation of Israel destabilized the region even more so because. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. it, it's the only right. It's the only non-Muslim or Arab country surrounded on all sides by Muslim <laughs> and, and Arab countries. And what are you going yeah. to do in Syria? Because if you were to <laughs> even if you were to say let's split Syria up, you're going to have rival factions continuing to fight. I don't know that there is an easy solution to this, but you know it, it certainly seems like there's no one in sight. And here's a situation where, you know, can lawmakers even do anything about this? And I say no. And this is one of those areas where the law really has no bearing at this point because things are spiraling out of control. And what do you you expect? You know, if you're Greece, do you really feel as though you're obligated to accept people in when it's going to cause further financial difficulty for your own country? You know, so it's really tough because there's that that humanity side, that moral side, versus the, well, we have to take care of our own country because we are spiraling out of control. And now with the influx of all of these uh, refugees, what is that going to do for us? So you feel for them on the human end. You can't have them in your country because of the financial aspects. And lawmakers can say whatever they want, but no law can fix this, in my opinion.
1: No, it's... It, it has to be fixed to the source and, and whether or not it's going to be as a great. I mean, there are there are five different controlling factions in Syria right now. You have the government, you have the rebels, you have the Kurds, you have al-Nasra, and then you have the Islamic State all claiming parts of Syria. If if everybody said, okay, let's stop the war today, and you guys all get to keep the land you've got, no one's going to be happy with that. <laughs> no. It doesn't, no doesn't, I mean, that's, not, that's not, that's not going to happen. <laughs> nope.
0: Absolutely not. It's going to be like the Palestinians and the Israelis, and, you know, the Mm -hmm. Gaza Strip will be just strewn throughout Syria. You know, you almost have to wonder, from an extremist hypothetical, what would be the way to solve this? Would it be, hey, you know, and this is where it gets kind of scary, does a UN military force come in and say, you're destabilizing not just the region, but the entire world? And we're going to come in and we're going to show some military might and we're going to, you know, no, we're talking about the U.N., but that could be frightening because <laughs> now you have got more of a, a global uh, military response in the U.N. And that whole thing, you know, for, for people out there that, that are conspiracy theorists and stuff, the New World Order and this idea of the U.N. being a military force as opposed to a peacekeeping operation is frightening. But is that what has to happen. Does somebody have to say, listen, if you're going to continue to destabilize the world, we have the right to go in and force you to do something in order to save the world? Because if you go back in time to the the American Civil War, there was a ripple effect that occurred in Europe, but not to the extent that I think the Syrian refugee crisis and that, that civil war is having on all of Europe.
1: No, not even close. Um, and, and, and you know, you have the makings here. If you were to look at it from the standpoint that you just described it, and you know how things, what the solution is, you have the makings of World War III. Honestly, yeah. I mean, and that's you know, and that's it's, it's it's you know, every every uh, every person quoting the Bible is going to say, ah, in the days I told you so. Um, but you really have that where it is going to be the rest of the world against. Uh, a group of people that are beating themselves up. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true, and, that, and, that, and that's the, and that's the sad part about it. And how do you fix it? That's 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 like saying, if you, like you say, I have a family down the street, and gosh, all they do is fight with each other, we're getting sick of it. So now we're going to go in as a neighborhood and force them to get along. Oh, and by the way, you have to stay in the same house, and we're going to yeah. stand outside here and make sure you yeah. do it. That is that is the parallel to that. I mean, you want to make it simplistic, but that's exactly what it is. You have a yeah. group of people who are basically all related um, in some way, shape, you or form. You can find them that all in their own bedrooms. Themselves. Yeah. Stick them all in their own <laughs> bedrooms and
0: see how long they're going to stay yeah.
1: there. Yeah, exactly. Eventually, someone's going to be knocking on the wall too hard, and then the other person's going to get mad because they can't listen to their music, and then they're going to fight. So yep. it, it's – it's it's. I don't want to say it's unsolvable, but it's, the, the solution lies within – and they're never going to find it.
0: No. No, but, you know, when you look at I think you're right with the, the reference to, you know, possible th- the next big conflict because most sure. civil wars, they don't have that ripple effect that can touch all parts of the globe. And this seems to be on its way, if not there already, to being able to really impact everything.
1: Oh, Right. And in, in, in the extremist side on the outside looking at this is saying, look, all you people, you don't want to be there either. But the problem is, is you're bringing your problems with you because your ideolo- ideological um, world is not staying behind. You're, you've got people from every walk of life that are fighting now with each other in Syria, leaving Syria, and they're going to live in Greece or in Germany or in Austria or in uh, Hungary. And they're not going to stop fighting. <laughs> You're just gonna do it somewhere else. Yeah, yep, that's what absolutely. the rest of the that's what that's what the that's what the, I believe, and that's what I'm sure a lot of people believe, and I think that's ex- exactly what happens. But yeah, only time will tell, unfortunately. And then at what time will it be too late? But that's our uh, political discussion for the day. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> it's but in, in all in honesty though, legally is there's there's nothing. I mean, they talk about the Shenzhen agreement, and there's nothing even that agreement. Uh, coming into play um, from a standpoint of what European Union can and can't do because it was an agreement signed by five of the 10 members of the the EU and it it was basically proposed the gradual uh, abolition of border checks between countries. And so now they're putting those borders back in place, but not because of the citizens of those particular countries. Right. So... It'll be interesting to see how that if that plays into it at all, or they say, well, it's a state of emergency and we're going to do it anyway, and too bad. So, yeah, <laughs> legally, that's legally, I can't see a judge coming. Up. Yeah, <laughs> there's not gonna be a, a judge in the world's going to reverse that. <laughs> nope. Oh, radio duo, no, not us, sued for drug sale accusations. Radio host lied on the air, saying that a father used his now closed New York meat market to sell large quantities of marijuana for his son, which was caught. Uh, the father is claiming a court. Michael Amalfi Sr. sued WAIO-FM Radio 95.1, two of its host and its owner, iHeartMedia, incorporated in a Monroe County, New York Supreme Court on September 9th. Now, Amalfi, who now lives in Broward County, Florida, barely he's older and retired, says he was born and raised in the North Rochester, New York area where WAIO is located. For many years, he worked with his father, Charles, and his two brothers in a family meat market aptly named Amalfi's according to the complaint. Now, the business, which closed around 2000, was the subject of WAIO's Kimberly and Beck in the Afternoon broadcast on May 13, 2015, Amalfi says. The show was hosted by defendants Kimberly Ray and Barry Beck. The lawsuit states, the pair began to discuss a news story regarding the plaintiff's son, Michael Amalfi Jr., who had pleaded guilty to conspiracy to commit money laundering and traffic in drugs for selling marijuana between 2010 and 13. according to the complaint. After incorrectly asserting that the money laundering and marijuana sales took place at the Brighton restaurant on East Avenue, a business which Michael Amalfi Jr. had been involved, the program host proceeded to impugn the plaintiff, the lawsuit states. Ray allegedly stated that Amalfi's son is free on $50,000 bail because I think daddy, Michael Amalfi Sr., has buko bucks. His family used to own a meat market on North Avenue and Portland Avenue in the city. He sold pounds of marijuana, I would say allegedly. Amalfi claimed the host went on to say, not pounds of steak, but pounds of dope, allegedly. Beck and Ray later made categorical but false statement of fact, and the lawsuit says as well. For instance, Ray said the Amalfis grew up to run the Brighton and to use it as a drug and money laundering front, the complaint states. The host allegedly added, I don't think they were selling little bits. I think they were selling large quantities. To clarify, Ray said, you're not going to have 50 people come up and buy a dime bag from whatever, according to the complaint. Now, Amalfi claims Beck responded by saying, let's just call it the BJs of marijuana sales, referring to the National Wholesale Club. <laughs> Amalfi claims, says their claims are not true. The plaintiff has never been engaged in the sale of ma- marijuana or any other illicit substances. Amalfi's meat market was not an outlet for the merchandising of marijuana, either in small quantities or large quantities, as the program hosts claim. Malvey seeks an unspecified amount of damages for defamation. He is represented by uh, Donald O'Brien, Jr. and Woods, albeit Gilman, LLP, and Rochester. The defendants have yet to return a request for comment to Courthouse News. So Courthouse News telling us all about this story, but the bottom line is, is whether or not these people in radio can make a statement, true or false, and get away with it, whether it's in entertainment or not. Is it really defamation?
0: Well, you know, I I think it really depends on what sources they were referring to, because if they were looking at something that's a published source and they are Mm -hmm. repeating, I mean, that would be the equivalent of, you know, we just read this story. Are we responsible for some sort of defamatory action? The answer to that is no, because we're relying on a news source and we're talking about what's gone on here. So if these hosts had a copy of an indictment, something that they could go back and say, listen, I'm only telling you what I read and then I'm, I'm injecting some of my opinion on it. But I, I don't know enough about what they relied on. I think, though, that this is a very dangerous thing for the radio hosts to have engaged in because I don't know that any of what they've said has any bearing in, in reality. I don't know that they back up any of it because if you just look at the comments that were made, And it seems like, I mean, to say some of the things that they said, there's no sort of journalistic immunity for that. That just seems to be stupidity. You know I mean? That would be like calling somebody out, especially because this really, this isn't somebody, this isn't Brad Pitt, where if you put yourself in the public light, then, you know, you uh, deserve or you expect some criticism. So if we're talking about Brad Pitt and we don't like his shoes, that he wore at an award show, that's different. That's our opinion. But here, you're really sort of impugning somebody's um, credibility. You're, you're, you're trying to destroy, because there's no other reason for the comment. You're trying to destroy that person's uh, reputation in the community. So I think that these people, the, the radio show hosts, might have some liability It's going to come down to what they can prove. What did they rely on? Is it purely opinion, or is it so uh, filled with conjecture that it ultimately ends up being a false statement that causes harm to the plaintiff?
1: Well, sure, when they say that uh, he's free on $50,000 bail because I think daddy has buku bucks, now you're insinuating, or would appear to insinuate, that you are saying the only reason he got a fifty thousand dollars bail is because his dad has big money, um, you know. And then of course because they, they throw in allegedly a couple times because he sold pounds of marijuana. I would say allegedly, and not pounds of steak, but pounds of dope allegedly. Um, you know they, they they direct it back a couple times, and you're right. It's 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 it seems uh, it seems less in the world of jest and more in the world of spite, and. Yeah. I mean, and yeah, and, you know, I mean, you can make fun of people all you want um, within the within the realm of truth, but when you start, like you said, you know, start voicing your opinion to the point that something else is afoot, then maybe that's where they're going to have problems. Yeah, I mean,
0: we're all entitled to our opinions, and we can speak our opinion, but when your opinion starts to have a negative effect, a damaging effect on somebody's reputation, of business, then that's no longer your opinion because now your opinion is is sort of edged with with a sword. And that's where I think right. that the, the line has to be drawn here. So the 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 fact that and I love that when people say allegedly, yeah, I mean that's a, a journalistic sort of um go to <laughs> get a free <jail-free> car. card. <laughs> yeah, I mean when I was when I was studying journalism in college, that was like allegedly, I mean everything, you know, my name, I, I'm Peter Lamont allegedly to cover yourself. But that only works when you you really are referring to an alleged comment made by another source if your opinion is you know this this guy blew up the world trade center allegedly where is that allegedly referring to something you read online or something you concocted in your head and that's where i think this starts to go far afield
1: yeah <laughs> yeah allegedly would probably refer to someone else saying it first or someone yeah. reporting it <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's I say that's why we always try to remember to list our sources <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> you know, courthouse list. News, that's right courthouse News is a big source for us, and they will tell us right now in manhattan government government workers balking at new w t c digs Fears of terrorism drove six employees from the General Services Administration to file a federal lawsuit seeking a court order preventing that agency's move to a move to the newly rebuilt World Trade Center. Tasked with the basic function of U.S. government buildings, the GSA currently maintains an office at 26 Federal Plaza, a little more than a mile away from its new offices on six different levels of the Freedom Tower. Now, Lawrence Tomskin, who became president of his local GSA union in 1988, says that his memories of the September 11th, 2001 attacks on the Twin Towers and the Pentagon still make him shudder today, and especially when he sees low-flying planes. He now leads a group of six Doty workers at the agency describing their new offices as a target for terrorists in a lawsuit asking a federal judge to break the agency's lease. They sued the GSA and its administrator, Denise Turner-Roth, in a 16-page complaint filed in Manhattan Federal Court. Co-plaintiff Jonathan Williams, a vice president of the agency's local union, worries that the move will aggravate his high blood pressure and stress, according to the 16-page complaint. Priscilla Rosario, program analyst for GSA, says she experiences severe trepidation as she contemplates the proposed move because she lost a godfather in a 9-11 tax. Uh, Peter Davis, a marketing specialist for the agency, griped that the office space roughly halfway up the 104 story tower could trigger his vertigo and fear of heights. The fact that the proposed offices are on the 55th floor further would make evacuation difficult, if not impossible, due to limitations in his ability to walk down such a significant number of stairs. The complaint says The GSA, I'm going to do some quick math for you here, Peter. The GSA spent $351 million on a $20 million, 20 million, excuse me, Three hundred fifty million dollars on a twenty year lease. It signed in july twenty twelve. That's one point seven million dollars a year. I'm in the wrong business. I need to lease yeah. to the government. This expense was entirely unnecessary because there already is vacant space at the GSA's current office, the lawsuit says. The lawsuit alleges the GSA failed to get congressional authorization and sidestepped numerous internal directives to prevent waste and abusing government. It is on the basis that this basis that the workers seek a judgment setting aside the lease as an abuse of this abuse of discretion now their attorney who's based in the story in New York noted in a phone interview with CN that there have been several congressional people who have complained about this particular lease though the Pentagon for instance lost 125 victims in the attacks roughly 23,000 show up at the building every day and more than one hundred thousand visit annually rose differentiated his clients from those workers though gs employees gsa employees are not administrative employees they aren't military excuse me they are administrative employees they aren't military employees the gsa did not immediately respond to a request for comment so basically they're saying i don't like where my company's working so i don't want to go to work there and i want the court system to tell them they have to find someplace else to put me uh, yeah. a a, a, met, a mentor of mine once told someone wow if you don't like that quit yeah, <laughs> yeah. do they actually have a case here i mean i feel bad for these people and the things that they have gone through but for crying out loud if you don't like it quit uh,
0: this is i think this is kind of a, it's it's really unbelievable and and sort of frustrating because you know what i worked at on wall street during 911 And shortly after the cleanup began, we ended up moving because they were offering incentives for companies that were moving closer to the World Trade Center site. We ended up moving directly across from the Trade Centers. And I remember Mm -hmm. going to work, you could still see the rubble that was left over. I mean, we're talking maybe eight months, six, seven, eight months after 9-11, um but sure. it was you know early 2002 things were still a mess and i didn't say you know well i don't want to be here and um maybe i'll start a lawsuit because i don't think that it's appropriate to move your office across from the trade center and and you know that's i mean think about it as a private employee in a private company would anybody ever think to do that yet here Heck no. in a government it's like, well, we work for the government. So, you know, the government shouldn't be allowed to do that. Um, I think right. this is a stupid case. Stupid. Stupid. Uh, because you know I, what? I, 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 I do I, is? Uh-huh. So what were you going to say?
1: Oh, I say this equates to me if if I were a uh, I didn't like my school that I went to when I was a kid because I was bullied or get picked at or whatever, and I work for a company and that company decides to move its headquarters across from that school, I don't want to go to work anymore because I have a bad experience across the street. Yeah, I don't like Mondays yeah. either. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, I, if you don't want to work
1: there, look,
0: I can understand not wanting to work there. That's not the issue. I sure. mean, I could certainly understand being traumatized. You know, I I mean, for me, quite frankly, I don't know that I'd want to work there after being in that experience, you know, uh, on September 11th. I don't think I'd want to work there, but I'm not going to go file a lawsuit. I'm going to say, look, I really don't want to work there. It's traumatizing. I'm not going to force, you know, try to force you and waste taxpayers' dollars on this lawsuit. I just wouldn't work there.
1: And you're an attorney for crying out loud. That's your first go-to. That's right. (laughs) <laughs> I'll sue you. I'm just getting, um, but in all, in all honesty, yeah, it's just, it's, <laughs> this is. Uh, I, I will be interested to see if this makes it past the. Uh, I don't know what's the first phase in a civil suit. It's not discovery, but uh, is that, is it, that it, it? Isn't is it?
0: Well, on the pleading stage, it could just be dismissed and a motion to oh,
1: dismiss. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I don't see this going anywhere. On top of which, when you think about trying to bring industry and companies back down to 9/11 uh, to Ground Zero. You know, how, how how great does this sound? Hey, you want to come and work for us? Well, no, no, no. It's The government is being sued because uh, the workers don't want to live down there or work down there. I just think it's stupid. I yeah, get it um, from an
1: emotional standpoint, but come on. I am i don't work for a lion trainer because I don't like the fact they train lions. That's why I don't yes. do it. Yep. Because <laughs> I don't want to get sense. eaten by the lion. <laughs> You'd like to think, wouldn't you? Oh yeah. Well, this this last story, of course, unfortunately, upsetting, but it raises an interesting question. Um, Unfortunately, a, a baby has died after being left in an SUV in a Florida school parking lot. six-month-old baby left in an SUV at a Florida middle school was found dead Friday afternoon, authorities said. A teacher at Deltona Middle School who was caring for the child inadvertently left the boy in a car seat in the back row of an SUV, the Volusia County Sheriff's Office said. The Sheriff's Office received a 911 call at 3.54 p.m. That's the time school gets out, folks. And a school resource officer was sent to the vehicle but it was too late. The sheriff's major case unit was assigned to the case. Uh, temperatures in Central Florida, obviously in the mid-80s. On Friday afternoon, aerial video showed the SUV in a parking lot with partition next to the passenger doors. The vehicle has tinted windows, but there are no trees to provide shade. Uh, Deltona is about 50 miles north of Orlando. The question here is, this doesn't sound like it was the teacher's child. No. Is there some? Is there a defense here? That And I, I, I'm not absolutely not excusing the fact that what she did here i mean it's it's horrible and she never should have forgotten but is it reasonable to believe that because it's not her everyday job caring for this child that she actually just could have forgotten
0: well i think this okay i think that let's assume for a minute that this, this will be prosecuted and the teacher gets mm-hmm. prosecuted for what she did to the child in my opinion I don't care whether you are a single person that has never changed a baby. If you're going to accept responsibility for a child, then you have to rise to that standard. And this, even though it might not have been intentional, this clearly was so grossly negligent. I mean, it's one thing to leave your keys in the car. It's another thing to leave a living thing in the car, Um, especially A, a child. I mean, how could you forget? But now, see how far this could go. So, if you're being prosecuted, could the prosecutor also say to the mother, "Wait a minute, you entrusted your child to this woman who wow. you knew as a teacher, right? And then you say sure. you have some responsibility here too. You were negligent in entrusting your, your 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 child to this woman, and does that negligence have a um, a parallel criminal charge. You know, is child? Is it a child endangerment case because you left her with somebody that maybe wasn't qualified? So I could almost see it being, well, let's say you leave your kid with a drug addict, and you know the, the person's a drug addict. Is that mm-hmm. a possible child endangerment case because you left your kid with a drug addict? I would say yes. So the drug addict could be held responsible, and so could you. Here's interesting, because you don't know about the teacher and watching the baby, so maybe the mother has no liability here, but it's certainly something that a prosecutor is going to look at and say, what is the, the, the chain of cancer that led this woman having the baby? But there's no excuse for the woman, and I think the woman, unfortunately, when you take that vulnerability, you then have the burden of acting as a reasonable person, and I think that, you know, it, it's Possible that you could get an involuntary manslaughter uh, convicted out of something like wow. this?
1: Sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, it doesn't. It certainly doesn't absolve her of any responsibility. What well, I was curious as to it could it could could there be reasonable? You know, I guess it depends on the jury. I think it depends on the
0: jury, and I think it depends on. I mean, I, I vaguely reflect other cases where people left their children in the car, and the, the kids got very sick, you know, near death, and they had to to be hospitalized, Mm -hmm. I don't want to say they were excused, because that's not the right terminology, but they weren't convicted of a crime for some sort of intervening event, whether it was an emergency situation or something like that. I I don't know what the involuntary manslaughter or child endangerment laws are in Florida, but in light of all the things that happened in Florida involving children as caretakers, I would tend to think that a court is going to come down a little bit hard on this as opposed to you know, going a lenient route.
1: Sure. Yeah. No, especially in Florida. And, uh, and that would be interesting to see. I mean, obviously this this woman that was a teacher will never teach again.
0: Yeah, really. I mean, could you imagine? Sure. You're entrusting your kids with her at school and this woman is <laughs> not uh, it's really bad and sure. tragic, but
1: I mean, come on. I mean, yeah.
0: isn't your job yeah. to take care of kids in a
1: way? Exactly, yeah. And As I was looking for more information on this story today, um, going a little bit off topic, I was was directed to this Baby Bella story that's coming out of Boston. Yeah, yeah. And the the there's a CNN article that talks about how the woman – and I do say I don't call her a mother because she's not. Um, the woman who gave birth to this child had two other children removed from her home prior to this one. And yeah. so I couldn't help but think, wow, the government wants to regulate who I can marry, but if they can take away my kids, I could just go make more. Brilliant. Yeah. 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 Brilliant. Really, You're really right. <laughs> The, the 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 battles you you, you fight because you can win versus the battles you need to fight, I suppose. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, that's all. Well, that's all. leave it. Right? <laughs> that's a wrap. We'll
0: wrap that up on a positive note. Great. Um,
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> so we we we've accomplished establishing World War Three, and Baby yep. sang- I think oh, that's good.
1: Great. We're off to a good Monday. Well, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> The World War II uh, thing is the worst thing to come out of it. Baby, baby thing will be right. small. Um Yeah, and that's the that's the sad thing. You start talking about that whole Syria thing, and the and you see the pictures of the kids and and, 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 and the families coming across. And, and I'm sure you know people that have come from that reason. I know I, I, a, a fellow here in the area that I live that his mom got him out of Iraq um in the '80s, um, and that was when Saddam was well in power. Um, smuggled yeah. them through uh, Jordan and uh, got them to the U.S. Yeah. So, I mean, nobody wants to be over there. They really don't. It's that bad. And uh, it, that's the problem. You you have a, a piece of land that nobody wants to live on for various reasons, mostly involved in the human issue, and fix the problem. Don't worry about it. You know, yeah. The problem is what it is over there. So, so you're going to have Thank land you. over there that no one's going to want to inhabit. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. man. Well, I- well, on a
0: positive note, on a positive note, if you're trying to communicate with your attorney, you can always go to smartclient.com and right. you can pick up right. their book uh, and and the resource workbook, which is also a great thing to uh, to take a look at to help you communicate better with your attorney. Um, it's a really good resource in all seriousness, and I, I really would encourage you to pick it up. It's completely affordable and very helpful. So check that out. Check it out at com or check it out on Amazon. Uh, we got a lot of things going this week. We've got some um, pre-recorded interviews that we're going to be doing and then airing later that Lori Cheek coming back on the show. So we've got a lot of exciting things going on. We're also working on some brand new things coming up um, in the fall, some, some meet and greets and some things that we're going to do, hopefully uh, throughout the country, maybe down in Florida, and uh, I, I'm hoping maybe we can get together with uh, with Burnett of uh, Beard Grow because he was really, uh, entrepreneurs information. So uh, we'll you know keep you updated on that. But I think there's a lot of things in the works. We've got a um, also a possible um, meet up in New Jersey with Kevin Knight, who is the owner of. Um, that wonderful wrestling school. They talk about a lot, and uh, he's been on the show before. He's trained a lot of the pro wrestlers, and he made such a unbelievable business. We very very established and experienced as an entrepreneur. We'll be getting together, and we're going to be having a uh, sort of a get together Q A where you're going to be able to ask Kevin and questions about uh, legal stuff and entrepreneurship, and, and hopefully it'll be educational and and as fun for you as it will be for us. So that's all in the works. We're going to keep you updated. You can really find everything at utlradio.com and uh, news and updates. We're going to be revamping the site as well, thanks to all of your feedback. Uh, Feedback is a really great thing, and I really appreciate all of you who have commented about the site and the show, and you let us know what you like and don't like. And we're able to make modifications based on on your comments, and, and I really appreciate it. So, Keep those comments coming. If there's something you like, let us know. If there's something you don't like, let us know. Be And uh, we'll make some modifications. Hopefully give you exactly what you're looking for. And uh, just remember, we can't please everybody. We'll do
1: our best. Right, Bob? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Everyone will not be happy. I guarantee it. Absolutely. Um, well, at least we can guarantee not hand no cupcakes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs>
0: All right, so that's going to do it for today. Tune in tomorrow for legal Q&A. Tune in Wednesday for business Q&A and then understanding business on Thursday. Bobby, great week. We'll be back next week with business and legal week in view. And uh, any questions, comments, anything, just find us on utlradio.com, and we will be glad to answer any questions that you have. Have a great week. I'll see you tomorrow.